0: This is Power of the Streets, a podcast series brought to you by Human Rights Watch about how we speak truth to power. I'm your host, Audrey Kawire-Wabwire, based in Nairobi, Kenya. In the series, we've been speaking to some of the people driving Africa's Me Too movement, but we're not done yet. In this episode, we're taking the conversation to Ethiopia. Everyone we speak to in the series has a second, a minute, or an hour when they realize that they need to make a change. The moment when they decide to step up and rise.
1: I think growing up, I've been really conscious about um, things that surround me. Like I've been politically very conscious. I think I can say I've been conscious because I grew up in that kind of household. Uh, But yeah, that like first year in the university doing my undergrad was my walking moment. I can say that for sure.
0: Ruth Yetbarek is a 24 year old activist from Ethiopia. She's the campaign manager for the Yellow Movement, a university based student movement that addresses issues of gender based violence. In this podcast, we're talking about the actual moment in time when someone decides to stand up against injustice, maybe through a movement or an event, you know, maybe through a hashtag. And you're an activist Ruth and you've been part of a major women's rights, you know, women's rights movement, the yellow movement, and you also work with UN Women and other platforms pushing for women's rights. What led you to activism?
1: Um I guess on my like I I grew up in a very feminist household uh, to begin with and also you know I went to all-girls school. So I have never been conscious about my gender or like you know if I'm a woman or man. I've never been conscious, and we call that privilege, right? Mm -hmm. So when I joined university, I went to Macale University, and I had a very uh, I don't know how like very bizarre moment. People actually are women and men, like you know. For me, that was a new thing. so like first, I think our teacher gave us this assignment saying describe your future husband or describe your future wife, and the way they described their future wife was really shocking for me. And uh, like gender was a very very big thing in the university, and people are you know discriminated, like based on their gender, and people like come from very remote area, and I said you know Ruth, you have been privileged enough, but It's time to say no.
0: So when you say you grew up in a feminist household, how was it exactly? How was your interaction with your siblings, your family? What exactly do you mean?
1: I've like, I only have one sister. And also like in our house, my mom is a litter. And again, my dad is, um, he's also educated person. Like he, he, like he have never made us aware of if we are a woman or if we're a man, he just like raised us or like our family raised us to be good humans, to focus on our education, to focus on like, you know, what we want to become, you know, in our house, like talking about period was a very normal thing. Uh, talking about different things was a very normal thing in our household. So yeah. Oh. So we have never had a gender role. Yeah. Wow,
0: wow, that's that's really interesting. So maybe we talk about the Yellow Movement. Uh, it's, it's a movement in Ethiopian universities. How did it start and how did you get to join it?
1: Uh, so the movement and part like Yellow Movement started, I think, 10 years ago. It was from, uh, it was started a, a yellow movement. Um, A low school teacher and her students started it. There was this case, case Raj. She lost, uh, her husband killed her in a street, uh, on a daylight on like a public street. So she was shot. And, you know, like whenever this kind of thing happened, there's a public outrage. Everyone would be so angry. People would like, you know, we'll start condemning it. But then, like, you know, it just ceases. So we said, like they said, you know, we're going to be a small but consistent voices uh we're going to raise we're going to talk about gender inequality daily we're going to talk about gender-based violence daily we might be small but we're going to be consistent so that's the main idea behind yellow movement is that and how i joined it um one of the founder, the the law teacher was belaine sahalu she's someone i really look up to she's like you know my role model my mentor my so she was on Twitter and she was um she was active and there was this I don't know if uh so Zo were a blogger uh, and they were detained in Ethiopia. so Blaine was really active and she was she used to you know talk about them, do campaigns for them and I was really interested. I was grade twelve I remember so I was really um you know I was really interested, and one time I went to the court to see their to see their case. And like I met Belaine there and she invited me to a book club. Uh, it was a, a year that I was going to join the university. I think it was around June and I joined university in, on September. So I met Belaine there. I met the Yellow Movement team and they were like, you know, very young feminists. Uh, and they know I, I was really impressed by how well they know what they want. Uh, I think we read The Alchemist. She invited me on a book club. It was The Alchemist. And all of them, uh, they knew what they wanted. They was, they were very articulated, on like on the things that they want. And I said, "Oh my God, my friends are very bright. They're like, but they were different, you know. First, they were university students, or like, yeah, they were much older than me. But then, uh, I was really impressed by how well they talk and how well they express themselves. And I said, hmm, "This is interesting. I want to join."
0: Huh? That that that's amazing. So. This movement is is trying to make sure that people uh, hear about you know gender based violence every day and women's rights. So what exactly do you do?
1: So in the Yellow Movement, one thing we do is table day. So we have table day every week. Uh, we talked about we talk about different things. so We raise different issues. We also have a book club. We also have um, yearly campaigns. Uh, we have um, monthly campaigns, so we have this kind of things. We also have different programs, mentorship programs. We have scholarship programs uh, for women.
0: So the, those programs seem, you know, super interesting, and they're really going in the right direction. What impact has the movement had to date, and where do you think it's going?
1: Um, I think one of the impact that we, is whenever something happens, people say, "Where are the yellow movements?" And I, I like, you know, I think our name is bigger than, than us. I've always said that. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's bigger than us. How so? Um, You know, people forget that it's a like, student movement. It's like, They forget that it's a student movement. They think that it's led by, you know, all these big, older professionals who, you know, all Yellow Movement members are volunteers. We are under the Addis ababa University and under from the Macaulay University. And... You know, they're volunteers, they're students. Most of them are students. And as we finish the school, we are mentors. And But, like, the, the members, like, the volunteers are students, are law students, like, uh, sociology students. And, you know, they're very bright. Uh, they give everything that they have for the movement. And I see, I think, by now, most people know about the Yellow movement if they're like, you know, if they're conscious, if they know what's going on at this and other parts of Ethiopia, they know about the yellow movement. And I think our, for example, our scholarship program have made a very huge impact. The, um, one of the things that we did was know your rights. We made sure that everyone that joined the university knows about the code of conduct. And we revised the code of conduct at some university code of conduct. Uh, we have yearly activisms. Uh, so these are, like, you know, one of the things that we made really huge impacts on.
0: I was, I I read a story um, on, on violence against women um, a while back. This article on BuzzFeed, I think a year ago, which was talking about the surviving R. Kelly documentary. So, so you know, R. Kelly, the musician. And, uh, you know, he was abusing girls, black girls in the U.S. for many, many years. And the article was discussing how this documentary and the discussions around it was integral to the Me Too discussions among um, Ethiopian communities, both at home and in the diaspora. Uh, tell me about this.
1: So, yeah, I think it, it happened a year or two years ago. And there was this whole um, Me Too movement in Ethiopia. It started, I think, Shares of Njera. They're the one who started it. Um... I think the the conversation have been going on a lot and but I think the the internet community was really um, surprised by the by the stories that came out. And for me one of the biggest things that came out of that was I don't know if you know but Kalela Kalela parents guide uh, to protect their kids uh, from gender-based violence.
0: So is this a, a is it government led or is it a group? What, what, what?
1: No, it's just a individual initiative. Her name is Salam Musi. She is a media and gender consultant, and she started it with her friends. And I think a year, um, a month or two ago, they published their first um, guidebook for parents to protect their kids from gender-based violence and sexual exploitation. So that was one of the one of the very good things that the Me Too movement in Ethiopia brought. It also opened a very good discussion uh, for the online community to talk about gender-based violence, to talk about, you know, uh, our abusers are not um, are not monsters. They are like the people we interact with every day. Uh, they are our family. They are our friends. Uh, so we know them, we have talked with them. So And that is a very good thing to know. It was an eye-opener thing for most Ethiopian online community. So why do you think,
0: you're saying there's a Me Too movement already in Ethiopia, um, but this really brought the discussion online in a different way. Why do you think people were surprised?
1: First, we don't talk about this. I don't know in, like in other cultures, but in Ethiopia, abuse is not something that you talk about on a daily basis. You know, either you get shamed by it or and but you don't talk about it. And when you talk about it, people take it as, you know, why are you always crying? It happens to everyone. You know, uh most of the abusers are someone that someone like you know, people that we call family, family friends and uncles. So I think people were really surprised by that and the I think the stories that came out were really overwhelming. Uh, They were really heartbreaking, you know?
0: Yeah, Yeah, I I remember um, reading those stories and it was heartbreaking and shocking at the same time. Um, So speaking about the pandemic we are going through right now, it's really restricting us a lot and changing the way we are living. But as you said, there's also, you know, a conflict going on and, uh, you know, we don't know what will happen, um, especially in many regions in your country. Um, we know that during conflict and when there's a disease, outbreak, women are usually uniquely affected because we experience a whole other layer of violence. Are there any patterns of violence that you're witnessing in these times? And how are you as activists organizing mm-hmm. around this violence? Yeah,
1: the, the conflict that's going on was really personal because I went to school in Makali University, Integral Region. And it was personal for me and my families were there. So, you know, something very personal. And there was also information, uh, internet shut down. So we didn't know what was going on. But, you know, it's expected whenever there's a war, there's going to be a rape. It's, it's just like, it's never going to be separated. Um, Yeah, so it's really heartbreaking. Uh, there are lots of stories that, that are coming out. Uh, lots of, you know people are complaining of rape gender based violence like uh, physical violence emotional violence it's it's really heartbreaking What's what's happening in tigray um lots of stories stories are coming out people are still they don't have access to bank people are still don't have access to you know food sanitation sanitary, sanitary products So like most Tigray activists are organizing, I don't know if you've seen reports from UNHCR, WFP, but women are facing lots of challenges in this area. So I think Tigray activists um, are organizing and calling out this, activists in Ethiopia and around like women activists are calling out this and they're also organizing in uh, collecting stuff, uh, sanitary products to go to the affected region. But one of the main, the main problem is most blocks, roads are closed, so there is no way things, um, things like things can go through that humanitarian aid can't go. So yeah, that's happening, and activists, activists, particularly activists are calling this out, uh, are you know asking the government, asking different women officials to. Let's we'll talk about this, to condemn this, also to do something about it. Even.
0: You know, m- many, many young Africans are now using the internet as a tool to organize and, you know, to spread the message and, you know, just push the movement forward. But we are seeing many governments now shut down the internet when whenever they feel like, really. So, how do these shutdowns affect the work of human rights, the work of activists?
1: Really, it's really affects us. you know, there was no internet for the like, you know, for a month and to cry. Right? So like people who have source of information, they don't know what's going on. The government can do whatever it wants, because there's no one watching. So there's no one calling things out. So it's like, you know, they do this intentionally. Whenever they close the internet, like it's because they have something to hide uh so yeah it really affects human rights work It really affects activist work um yeah i mean like it, it makes you even frustrated you know like so many times you might say there are lots of again you for disinformation misinformation coming out of facebook or so in the internet but again it's really important to organize it's really important as a source of information it's also really important to let the world know what's happening to let to push the government to ask the government on what, why are they doing the things they're doing?
0: Yeah, and as we're talking about information and how you know it, it really informs human rights work and, and pushes the movement forward, I know one of the things you care about a lot is data, statistics of reporting when it comes to gender-based violence. And this conversation is usually driven by people when they choose to speak up now you know mainly when they feel safe to but there's still a disadvantage of official data um uh, because if i speak up for example i can give my example in kenya um sexual harassment uh talking about that you'll get lots of blowback online offline it's not you don't get lots of support the you get a lot of blowback um but you're doing a lot of work around official data of gender-based violence. Why do you think this is really
1: important? Um, I, like one of the things that we really have to focus on as a movement in Ethiopia, or also as a movement in Africa, is, um, informed advocacy and da- data 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 based at ad- like advocacy. Uh, When we can do that, I think we can really, really influence uh, policymakers, we can influence, um, you know, the government, we can influence real conversation. But people should know what that what's happening out there. People should know that, you know, we're just not talking just because we're angry, uh, just because we hate men. We're talking about things because they're happening out there and we're we're losing so many lives where, because of the things that are happening out there so i think one of the things that we really have to focus on is data and that database at pocsi mhm mm-hmm.
0: i i know you monitor the media a lot and uh, you you you've written about how the media shapes narratives on gender equality violence against mem- women you made a presentation about this in 2019 Tell me about this discussion. What was what led you to do this?
1: One of my friends pushed me to do this because um, media in Ethiopia is really sexist, to put it in a simple word. It's sexist uh, in two ways. Uh, one, uh, the way it narrates, you know, women are only Women experts are only called whenever there's a there's a woman issue. That is whenever there's gender based violence issue, whenever it is. But like you know, pe- there are women economists, there are women, you know, politicians working on different things. And gender is not something it's not something alienated. It's very weird and so many uh policies, so many activities, so many conversations, political conversations. So but you know, it's you no know, whenever there's an inflation. It's, it's the guy with the suit that's called to to do a presentation about it, to talk about it. And whenever there is a gender-based violence, it's the woman that's called. And we have to call this out. Unless otherwise we see things on a different lens, on a feminist lens, we can never bring true change. One is that the, the second is the way women portray in Ethiopian media is... um. That the, t- the typical uh, stereotypical woman, you know, the one that cleans, the one that cooks, the one that takes care of the family. Uh, but um, yeah, that's it. That's the only way the media, the music portrays it, the, the, the movies, the ads, that's the way they, they portray it. And on the other hand, whenever there's a gender-based violence case, whenever um, it's not, the media doesn't give it enough attention.
0: This is very heavy work that uh, you're doing in a conservative society. How does your family, your friends, the people you interact with, how do they respond to you?
1: Mm, I think my close, close friends are also very active and very vocal. Uh, so I, I can say that. Uh, again, my family are happy uh like they're supportive uh it's like you know people you interact with on occasional basis that have um, negative comments about this kind of thing but other than that i choose my circle very wisely
0: so you know choosing your circle wisely is a way to take care of yourself what else do you do to just unwind and you know come out from the daily push of activism
1: Ah, for example, now I I was like, you know, there there are lots of things happening, but I I'm not s- s- saying anything because I know some people are actually saying so many things about it, and because you know I, I I need to be okay. I need to be the way I I learned this was in a very hard way, so I just want to keep on learning on how to say, we we'll take a break, and you can do better next time." Like every battle is not your battle. Every battle is not something you can win or fight. It's, it's okay to take a time off and reflect on yourself and come back strong. And ch- I, like for me, choosing your circle is really important. Um, you need to have um, a very supportive, like you need to have a very strong support system to, to, to make you go forward and to take care of yourself, to, to make you accountable even for things that you do. In a good way, so
0: you know many young activists are working across the continent on the me too movement. What message do you have to inspire
1: them? Be conscious, um, question your privileges, um, forgive yourself. Why did you
0: say question your privilege i th-
1: I think um for for example, living in Ethiopia, like I was born and raised in Addis Ababa. And I can I can never speak for the Oromo uh for or the Oromo woman like the Oromo woman. So I need to question my privilege and I can never say, you know, I'm 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 in Ethiopian, I can add like I'm Ethiopian, I'm not an Oromo or you know, I'm I'm Ethiopia first. I don't see my ethnicity that much. That's privilege for me to say that. You know, uh, people are identified as Oromo first for the, for so long, they can't say they are Ethiopian first. and they can't say they are, like, they, they have been identified as Gambela for so many years, they can't say I'm Ethiopian first. So we have to question our privilege, if our concerns are coming from a point of privilege or our actual concerns. And it's something that I'm learning recently.
0: Um, where can we find information on your work and the Yellow Movement online?
1: So, I think you can find Yellow Movement on Yellow Movement AU Facebook page, Yellow Movement uh, Twitter page. You can email us at the Yellow Movement AU at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram. So, these are the, the platforms that you can find about Yellow Movement.
0: You've been listening to Power of the Streets a podcast series brought to you by Human Rights Watch. I'm Audrey Kawire Wabwire. That's the end of our show. Check out our show notes for more about Ruth and her work at the Yellow Movement. In the next episode, we take the conversation to Mozambique. To learn more about Human Rights Watch, visit hrw.org and follow us on Twitter at hrw and on Instagram at Human Rights Watch for updates about the show. Join the conversation using the hashtag Power of the Streets and share your thoughts with Ruth or any of our other guests and you can tell us how you're speaking truth to power. Our producer is Andy Siwe May and this is a volume production. The main theme song Au Revoir is produced by Young OG Beats. Till next time, thank you for listening.